time since being at Dauphin Way, I've pulled double duty. And um, I used to do it at Huntington all the time because we had college students who decided not to show up at the last minute because that's what college students do. But thankfully, we have an incredible team here at Dauphin Way. And um, amen and amen. And I'm just impressed to see all of you here because it's the Sunday after Christmas, which is in the top five of lowest attended Sundays. So you all get extra lumber for your mansion in heaven. All right. So just go ahead and throw that up to the sky. All right. It is a good day to be in the house of the Lord, and we are just having a, a week to celebrate Christmas because this is the Christmas season. You know, we still have our de- if you put up your decorations, I understand you're superstitious. You're also wrong, but I still love you. Christmas is 12 days that starts on the 25th, not ends on the 25th. And um, August has given me my verbal affirmations. She's never heard me play music before, so we wanted to have her in here for a second. And uh, she's gonna be our Pentecostal. All right. Um, and so we, we are gonna be just spending a morning. This is not a series. We're not in the middle of anything. And so if you're a guest, it's a great day to be here um, because you haven't missed anything. We're just gonna sit with Ephesians chapter three this morning for a few minutes, all right? So will you go there with me? It'll be on the screen here behind me. And um, you can read along. Or one, something I like to do is I like to close my eyes and just let the word of God wash over me. I can't do that right now because I've got to read and I don't have the Bible memorized. I know that's what you think we do in seminary. Um, but one of my other pastor friends, Sterling Boykin is here and he can tell you, that's not what we do in seminary. I mean, I just, we don't, we don't even, I mean, sometimes we don't even show up to class. I'm just saying, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has been made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs with Israel. It's really important. All right, I'm gonna read that part again. This mystery that's been revealed to everybody is that through the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus proclaims, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to their rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. All right, this morning, if you would like, if you allow me, I would like to preach from the subject, the real MVP. The real, like Kevin Durant a couple years ago, you the real MVP. We're gonna talk about the real MVP, all right? Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. 
We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, good. Y'all, so um, obviously we didn't have percussion up here today. They're short staffed, so like, like I said, pulling deep from the bullpen. I, I hadn't got to play music in forever. That was so much fun. But whenever we were just, I, I had one earbud out. Um, and you would think this whole place is packed. I'm just proud of your singing voices this morning. I'm just saying. It was like the, the heavenly host of angel band came down. You've gotten to know me a lot over the past three years. I've gotten to know you. We know a lot about each other. You know, I have a wife named Brianna, a daughter named August. I play music. But what you might not know, one of the most true qualities, one of the most truest things I can say about myself is that I am forgetful. And I'm actually, I'm incredibly forgetful. There's really no way to quantify how forgetful I am. I'm surprised, Brianna's, you know, I'm surprised she's not being charismatic, so I'm amen right now. If Brittany were here, I know she would be, because she works with me, and she's always trying to remind me of things, and I'm always forgetting them. Specifically, I'm forgetful when it comes to the future. I'm pretty good about remembering the past, right? I'm pretty good about remembering stories and experiences and things that God has done, and, and I'm good at like, quoting things. Like My whole life is music and movie quotes. I don't think I've had an original thought in like 10 years. It's just Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, Talladega Nights. I mean, like, that's all I know how to talk about. But I, um, <laughs> I forget just about everything throughout the day at least one time that has to do with something that's coming next, right? Particularly like meetings. I have missed a lot of meetings in my life, not because I was preoccupied, but because I was negligent and forgetful. And thankfully now, we have these amazing little devices, right? that like technology in our pockets is pretty incredible. I used to try to write down the things I had to do on like a planner and I lost the planner. Yeah. I forget where it was or I just forget to look at it. So I would miss it. But thankfully we, we have these phones in our pockets that are just incredible to be able to help us do things. And I think the thing it's done for me more than anything else, it's connected to me, to you. I like to text you, it's fun. It, it allows me to check Facebook. But more than anything, it reminds me of what I'm about to forget or what I've already forgotten. And in fact, when I lose my phone, I forget it somewhere. I have a tile on my keys that I can push to help me find where I forgot my phone. And if I lose my tile, I have a Brianna <laughs> who can look on her phone and she can actually find my phone with her phone. It's incredible. She knows where I am all the time. But you know, originally we, these phones in our pockets, the smartphones, um, they have not always been this life-saving this life changing, you know, we, we sometimes forget where smartphones have come from because it's happened so quickly and now they're like ubiquitous with just life. Everything kind of revolves around our phones, right? But do you remember the original smartphones, right? Not the flip phones, past flip phone, past even Razor, like right in the Blackberry area, right? This actually wasn't that long ago, um, but for those of you who are kids who don't know what a Blackberry is, it's like a less cool iPhone, all right? And so when these phones first came out, there was no app store. There was no like way to download the games that you want specifically. It only had 16 functions. One of them was clock. The other was system settings. Did you know that even on the original Android and iPhone, there was no way to copy and paste into an email? Just think about how frustrating that would be now with your phone. If you couldn't like hold your phone down, finger down to copy, 
and then paste it. Now, this might not be applicable to everybody, but it, like, this is how I live my life. I'm always on my, like I'm preaching from the device, right? And so the thing is, when these first phones were made with 16 functions, the people who made them knew, even then, even over a decade ago, that one day these things will be supercomputers that hang out in our pockets. But they weren't quite there yet. That made it to the iPhone version 11. They were at the original iteration of the smartphones. Does it ever feel like to you that when you buy a new technology, the next day there's like 12 upgrades and it's already obsolete and you've spent all this hard-earned money and no longer does it even matter? Well, that's because there are always new things coming out because in Silicon Valley, which is where all the tech industry hangs out, there is a phrase that is very important. It's called the minimum viable product. Minimum viable product. I want you to hold that phrase in the back of your head because we're gonna come back to it, all right? It's, it's something that uh, people in the tech industry use to describe the way they work because you see, everyone knows that they could always do a little bit more to their product to make it better. Like over a decade ago, they knew that there were supercomputers and that one day we would be there, but they were not there yet. Technology in the world, everything is, it could always be a little faster, a little more storage, a little cooler connectivity, a little more features. But if you're always upgrading the product, if you're always trying to make it better, you'll never have anything to send to market. Nobody will ever buy anything. You won't ever have anything to give the consumer. You won't ever have anything that people can, excuse me, can purchase. Donuts out there, I'm just telling y'all, be careful. And so they came up with this idea that the minimum viable product is something very important to figure out what are they gonna send to the shelves for consumers to buy? What is the least they could do that would be enough? That would be enough for people to purchase it so that then they could see how people use it and then they would tweak it to make it a little bit better for next time, even knowing that there's technology that would make it even better and even better and even better. But they have to put something into the consumer's hands. When they think about this minimum vial product, they say, what is the very least outcome that would be worth our very best effort? What can we put our genius towards that we know is a limitation of ourselves or what the ultimate goal is, but would make a difference in the world today or would make our product something people would wanna purchase? I want you to keep that idea in the back of your mind as we return back to the scripture this morning. This idea of what is the least that you can do or that is available or to the product that would be worth everything. It would be worth you giving your all to. It would be enough, right? I love the letter to the Ephesians. It's probably my favorite New Testament epistle. There's so much about love and grace in there. I see everybody smiling. She's affirming. All right, but there's so much about love and grace in there. There's so much about how we are saved through salvation. And it is incredible to hear all of Paul's words, but sometimes they're a bit confusing if you just read it all at once, right? Did everybody absorb everything we just read? from Ephesians chapter three, right? It's not our language. It's not our style of writing. I mean, it's not the easiest, easiest to you know, process in the moment. So let's walk through this together. Can you imagine what it must've been like for Paul? I mean, there he is and he knows, he absolutely knows that God has completely changed the world. That through Jesus, all things are now different. Paul has given everything because he knows that God is going to do something astonishing in people's lives. 
He says, God's purpose is now to show the rulers and the powers in the heavens that many different varieties of his wisdom through the church. The different varieties of God's wisdom. That's a fascinating phrase, right? One translation substitutes varieties for diversity. He says, God's purpose is to show the world the diversity of his wisdom, how God's wisdom is not just relegated to one thing, but can be vast, can do a lot more than we can imagine. If you didn't know, there's a great difference between Gentiles and Jews. The ancient Hebrew people were not so friendly with the Gentile people. They were essentially like oil and water, never to mix, eternally separated. The Jewish people, they worshiped Yahweh. They believed in ritual purification. And they believed that they were carrying on the religion of these ancient Hebrew people that had been through exile and suffering. They were led out of Egypt into the wilderness, wilderness, but then established in their promised land. And the Gentiles were the pagans. They're the ones who did not worship Yahweh. They're the ones who were not part of the sacred people of God. Paul was Jewish and he had once been named Saul. And when he was called Saul, he had dedicated his life to being the best, most learned, most respected Jewish leader he could possibly be. He spent the early part of his life training to be a priest and to be a scholar and to carry on the role of being a leader in the Jewish faith. He had big dreams for himself and those dreams involved being a leader to his people, the Jewish people. That's what he thought he was going to do. He trained all of his life for this. He thought that he was going to to bring redemption and hope and love and all the things that the people wanted to these Jewish people. Are you with me? Saul, super Jewish. Paul became a Christian. And then in this book, we read that his whole day, his whole life, his whole ministry is spent doing something completely different. He thought he was gonna reconcile, you know, the book of Romans, you see this a little bit, the reconcile the Jewish people with the pagan Gentile people. Paul thought through his Jewish training and his biblical knowledge, he could grab hold of his Hebrew brothers and sisters and help them see the goodness that God is trying to offer the Gentiles. But then throughout his entire ministry, Paul found that the more he tried to preach the good news to his Jewish countrymen, the more they rejected him. The more he tried to reach out to the people who were supposed to love him and who were part of his family, the more they didn't want to hear it. But you know who did want to hear it? You know who did receive this grace, this good news? The Gentiles, the people who were not part of God's plan according to the Hebrew people. And here in Ephesians, one of his last letters, Paul is sitting in prison. And even though he has been given this great vision of what the church is going to be, about the diversity of God's wisdom, He hasn't seen it happen yet. He hasn't seen the fullness come into fruition yet. He hasn't seen the reconciliation between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. He's not the great unifier that he thinks that he should be or that he wants to see in the world. He's just preaching to the Gentiles. He's looking back on his life during this letter. He's looking back on his mission and he's realized that all he's really done is preach to the Gentiles. And so he's sitting there in prison. He's grown old. He's a preacher to the Gentiles. And in this moment, he says, and that's enough. In this moment, you see Paul, we hear Paul coming to the realization that there were 
there's a great vision for what God is going to do and what the kingdom of God on earth established in its fullness will look like. But he also realizes that he, it might not be all on his shoulders to make it happen. He realizes in this moment, as he's writing this letter, that as he's preached to the Gentiles, that he has made a difference and that that is enough. Here again, the voice of the prisoner, he says, God gave his grace to me, the least of all God's people, to preach the good news about immeasurable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Paul has not seen the church become everything that God wants it to be yet. He's not seen his own people fall on their knees and praise Christ Jesus as Lord. He's not seen almost anything that he dreamed about, anything that he'd hoped for from this grand vision of what God's kingdom will be. But he used to persecute Christians. He used to shun Gentiles. And now he loves Christ and preaches to those who he used to shun. The biggest shock in Paul's mission and his ministry was discovering that the Gentiles were worth it. To discover that maybe everything was not on his shoulders, but that what he was doing for the kingdom was enough. That the very least thing was worth his everything. What is it in your life what is the very least thing that is worth your everything? As we get ready and we're looking towards the beginning of the new year, we all have these grand visions of what 2020 will be like. We all have these five-year plans. We all have these expectations of how God is going to do great things in our life or really maybe we're gonna get to some of these promotions or that we're gonna have, you know, everything's gonna be complete. I don't, I don't know. What are these great visions you have in mind? But as I read Paul and I hear him talking about God's purposes to show the world the differences in the variety of wisdom through his church, I think that's us. That is us. That's our mission right there. That's our mission statement. We're supposed to show the world the diversity of Christ to the ends of the earth. And, and maybe the entire mission of making the kingdom known on earth. Maybe the entire thing is not on your shoulders. Maybe everything that we're supposed to do is not solely up to you. It's good that that's the case because when we think that that might be who we're called to be, then we tend to think that we are God and we forget that God is God and we are not. And so... I ask you as we wrap up this morning, as we get prepared to come to the Lord's table, this Christmas season is about to end. We're about to have epiphany. We're gonna celebrate the wise men who crossed the borders and the badlands and emerged to see Jesus as king. And to everybody else, it would look like that their journey wasn't worth it, right? They traveled far only to see a baby, but they realized that that was enough. That was something that was worth their everything. And so as we inch closer to Epiphany, I wonder, what is it that will be enough for you to be proud of the work that you've done? What is it that, that God might be calling you to do to aid in the kingdom being known on earth? 
as opposed to this idea that you have to bring the entire kingdom by yourself? Who is it that you need to ask help from so that you don't feel like you have to do it all alone? Because here's the thing, friends. We are in this room together because we are in this life together. And whatever it is you feel like God is calling you to, you are not alone. We are your sisters and your brothers. We love you. We love doing life together. And so I wonder, what is the minimum viable product that God is asking from you? What is the very least that God could do that would be worth your everything? What would it take for you to find yourself in Paul's position? Broke, broken down and bound by circumstances and still say, it was worth it. Sitting in prison saying, it was worth it. It might not be everything that I've dreamed it could be, but it was enough. And so don't wait until your life is perfectly put together because there can always be improvement. There can always be things that can add on, but if you always wait, you will never do anything. If people had waited, we would have never gotten the first iPhone and now we wouldn't have gotten to the 11th version of it or whatever technology device you use. Don't be the perfectionist just sitting in the lab trying to make your life perfect before you put yourself out there to do work for God and to do work for the kingdom. So what is it in this coming year that would be enough? What is the least thing that would be worth your everything? I pray that we are a church that considers that question very seriously so that together, not alone, we make the kingdom of God known on earth as it is in heaven. Will you pray with me?